This is Eyewitness News up close. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. An incredible day in Washington. Christine Blasey Ford under oath telling the Senate Judiciary Committee and the country that she has no doubt it was Supreme Court nominee Brent Kavanaugh who sexually assaulted her when they were both in high school. But in this day-long drama played out on national television, an angry Judge Kavanaugh, also under oath, flatly denied the charges. I categorically and unequivocally de deny the allegation against me by Dr. Ford. Also this morning, a progressive political rookie, 32-year-old Alessandra Biaggi, defeating veteran incumbent Jeff Klein in the Democratic primary for a state Senate seat in a New York district that blankets the Bronx and parts of Westchester. So what's her agenda? And what does she have in mind for Albany? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. We're going to talk to Ms. Biaggi in a few moments. But first, what we all witnessed this last week in the U.S. Senate was amazing. In the end, late Friday, President Trump ordering a new FBI investigation of sexual assault allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh before a final vote on his nomination by the full Senate. Without the investigation, several key Republicans made it clear they were not ready to vote for Kavanaugh. So Senate leadership had little choice, really, but to bow to demands from Democrats and some consenting Republicans to open an FBI investigation because they didn't have the votes to move the confirmation ahead. All this after a dramatic day Thursday of dueling testimonies. Christine Blasey Ford, a university professor in California, accused Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her when they were teenagers. Setting up our coverage with the drama in Washington, here's political reporter Dave Evans. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Dr. Ford opened by recalling what allegedly happened at a party back in 1982. She testified Kavanaugh and a friend assaulted her in an upstairs bedroom. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. Dr. Ford said the incident drastically altered her life, and then she spoke of shame and laughter during the assault, laughter she still remembers. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter, the, la the uproarious laughter between the two, and they're having fun at my expense. But could Dr. Ford possibly be mistaken that maybe her attacker was someone other than Kavanaugh? Dr. Ford, with what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. Just after 3 o'clock, Kavanaugh began, and he angrily denied the accusations. This is a circus. This has destroyed my family and my good name. I am innocent of this charge. Late Friday, another surprise. The we Senate Judiciary Committee, after voting to forward Kavanaugh's nomination to the full Senate, asked for a new FBI investigation, and the president agreed. It will work out very well for the country. I just want it to work out well for the country. If that happens, I'm happy. That was our political reporter, Dave Evans. So much to talk about. We'll get to the politics and what happens next. But throughout this entire controversy, it was clear to us this was more than just the nomination of a Supreme Court justice. This was about us, about men and women, how we treat each other, and what kind of behavior we tolerate. 
It all comes at a kind of crescendo of the Me Too movement and now the hashtag why I didn't report movement, it being rape or sexual assault. Whether we like it or not, we're all now in a kind of group therapy. So we thought we would talk to a therapist, Darby Fox, the child and adolescent family therapist, and I'm gonna put aside politics and just talk. You're a mom, I'm a dad, a lot of parents out there, a lot of young people out there. We have seen something in this last week in Washington that we have never seen before, just like we've seen something in Washington the last year and a half that we've never seen before. What effect does it have on us and our children? Well, I think it's had a sort of startling effect through this week, especially watching yesterday's testimony that both sides, the male, female, there's just this powerful sort of sickening feeling about how, how, what these people are going through. I think that we've never seen before such an emotional two-sided story. And I think it, it's really important that we take away not only, yes, your behavior when you're a teenager can come back when you're older, but really what it's, it goes back to accountability. And I think that that's something we really haven't talked about is the accountability piece. So what do you talk to your clients about in therapy, in group therapy, family therapy? What do we tell our children as we watch all this? We have our children watch it, especially we want to be age appropriate, of course. They need to be um, probably prepubescent, 12-year-old. But we tell them that at the end of the day, because there can be two sides to the story and things can shift and change, you have to hold yourself accountable to who you are as a person. Is this the right thing to do? Am I being respectful? How do I treat other people? How would I want my mother treated? Or your How sister. My sister. Right. Um, what happens here? That's my best friend's sister. Those kind of questions are what we need to be teaching our kids, not just will I get in trouble later on. We want to shift the mindset to who are you as a person and why, why you wouldn't do this. You're it, not that kind of person. And again, I want to keep politics out of this, but this woman, Dr. Ford, not this woman, this yeah. Dr. Ford, Christine Ford, gave testimony that was so gut-wrenching and she right. hid it and kept it in the closet from her, from her family, from her parents. And now her children know, our children know, what do we say about the actions of little of young boys who are in or are teenagers and and the effects of alcohol? She did. This was not no no means no. This she didn't have a choice about this. She got attacked. Well, I think what we again we have to remind them, uh, especially when alcohol is involved, it isn't even a question of no means no. That should be very obvious. It should be. If you've had too much to drink or if you're in an awkward situation like that, it's not someone you're in a relationship with, it should be an automatic, I'm not going here. I mean, go home, leave, something, there's this sort of gray area and we're looking for a yes or a no with any kind of sexual behavior. It's not really a clear line in many of these incidents. You said something to me earlier, it's all about what kind of person do you want to be? That's the message. It's not like you could get in trouble later in life. It's right. what kind of human like, beings we want to you? be. You're not in, you're, you're in an impaired state. You don't want to even risk taking somebody's risk or respect away. I'll tell you what I felt when I saw this. As a baby boomer, I think we have failed our, our children and our country and our society by not drumming this in and, and having our kids understand this. It should be pretty clear to any child from 12 on that it's just not acceptable behavior. Darby Fox, th this is the other real story behind all the politics we've been seeing this last week, and I appreciate you lifting the lid up on this a little bit, and I think we all need to really think about this. It's been eye-opening for everyone. 
Thank you right. for having me. Thank you, Darby. We're going to return now to the other investigation and other issue in this case. If you watch the hearings, you know the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee kept calling for an FBI investigation of the allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. Judge Kavanaugh, will you support an FBI investigation right now? I, I will do whatever the committee wants to... Personally, do you think that's the best thing for us to do? You want to answer? You know, look, Senator, I, I've, I've, I, I've said I wanted a hearing and I'd said I was welcome anything. I'm innocent. The full Judiciary Committee, after voting along party lines to forward Kavanaugh's nomination, but they realized then that they didn't have the votes in the full Senate without an investigation by the FBI. So they asked President Trump to order a new FBI investigation into the claims of Dr. Ford and the denials by Judge Kavanaugh. And that's what the president has done. There is, however, a strict deadline. The president wants it done within a week. Is that realistic? We'll see. So what does an investigation do that a Senate hearing can't do? I spoke to Richard Frankel, former FBI special agent in charge. His last post was in Newark. He is now an attorney for Ruskin Moscow Faltacek within their white collar crime practice. And he's a contributor to ABC News. His interview recorded before the call for the new FBI investigation. Democrats all week and especially on Friday say, please, let's just do this. Let's have everyone testify and have the facts to us rather than po politicians asking questions. So the FBI does background investigations. Basically, all they do is collect all the information. It's not evidence. They collect all the information and they pass it on to the White House. That's under a DOJ memo, memorandum of understanding from the Obama, administ uh, the Obama administration. Um, what they would do is they would go out, they would interview everyone that needed to be interviewed collect it, write it up, and send it. It's not a long-term, you know, uh, year-long investigation. It's basically following up on the investigation they've already done. But they dig deeper than we've seen this last week when the Congress people, the senators were just asking questions. Well, yes, they, they would go out, they would actually interview these people. Uh, it's non-criminal, they would go out and basically they just collect that information. So they, but they would do the, uh, a, a full um, uh, interview of all the people involved in this. Again, we're taping Friday, this airs Sunday morning, who knows what happens in, the, in Washington these days in, in 48 hours, but, Something could change and it would happen. What would it mean? How important for you as a former FBI agent, how important is this to have an FBI investigation into this affair? What do you lose from an FBI investigation? What do you gain from an FBI investigation? What it brings to the table is that it brings people who know how to question people, people who know how to interview people, people who are not in the, in the cameras at the time, and, and it gives them um, a, a sense of knowing everything that happened during that time. If allegations like this were being made against you and you didn't do it, would you want an FBI investigation? Oh, without a doubt. You know, that was the one thing that I kind of commented on. I was surprised that he had not asked for it. Meaning the, the Judge Kavanaugh. Meaning Judge Kavanaugh, that he had not asked for it. And only because I, I think it would go to the point that he said, I'm, uh, I'm not guilty. I have never done this. Let the FBI come in. Let them do the background investigation. Let them get all the information. The accuser, Dr. Ford, wanted an FBI investigation. What did that tell you? Well, I, I think she believes what she believes. And therefore, she would like the FBI to sort of back her up in that investigation. 
Former FBI Special Agent in Charge Richard Frankel, we thank him very much. By the way, just to get, say it again, we talked to him just hours before President Trump ordered the new FBI investigation into Judge Kavanaugh. Just ahead and up close, a 32-year-old first-time candidate pulling off one of the biggest political upsets in the state of New York when she defeated a powerful incumbent state senator. But Alessandra Biaggi is no stranger to politics, and she says she has plans to shake things up up in Albany. She's next on Up Close. Welcome back to Up Close. After a president was elected who had zero experience holding office, the trend continues. In New York, there are no shortage of examples, and one of them is here with us this morning. 32-year-old Alessandra Biaggi, earlier this month defeating one of the most powerful Democrats in the New York State Senate, Jeff Klein. Defeated him big time, actually. She is now the favorite to win the seat come November 6th, and we welcome Ms. Biaggi. Did I pronounce your name right? Yes, I hope, you right? are. Thank you for having it's me on. A great name, a very powerful name, Biaggi. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, un I understand that you were among the most shocked that you won the night of the election, the primary election. That's exactly right. I mean, we were the underdog until 9 p.m., right, until all the results were starting to come in, and we played that way, too. And so we took nothing for granted. We were knocking on doors. We were sending postcards, sending text messages. But I don't think anybody thought, yeah, this is easy. This is in the bag. This was an incredible um, uphill battle from the beginning until September 13th, and that did not change, even though we had 500 volunteers and the excitement was in the streets. It was very challenging and so and you view yourself as one of these sort of young Bernie Sanders kind of people is that like the other like the other I view people? myself as a young progressive who is seeing issues in their community and instead of you know sitting back or instead of just you know complaining about it on Twitter taking a stand and running for office I think a lot of what we're seeing is that young women are running because they're seeing a problem in their community and the way that they can solve it is by running for office. And I, in my community, I, said I had an unfortunate problem that I wanted to fix. And what was the problem? Well, for the past eight years, we have had seven, or excuse me, eight state senators led by my state senator, Jeff Klein, who created this rogue group called the Independent Democratic Conference, also referred to as the IDC. This group over time has grown to eight state senators, and they have been elected as Democrats, they've run campaigns as Democrats, but then they've gone to Albany, and they have caucused with Republicans and voted with Republicans. And we really didn't know what was going on because we weren't paying attention to the state Senate as closely as we were to the federal politics and government until 2016. So and were they independents we or were they Republicans? They were, well, I'd like to say, I mean, I was told in the beginning of this race when I got in, Alessandra, you know, it's really not the time to be running against a Democrat, to which I said, I'm not I'm running against a Republican. I think that the record of my opponent, though he has voted on things that are Democratic and progressive, his behavior time and time again has been very similar to that of the Republican conference. Um, you said uh, of the eight people, Mm -hmm. It's a fa fascinating statistic because you were not alone in your campaign. That's right. A lot of other people in your same position mm -hmm. did battle with members of this IDC. Yes. And of the eight who ran, mm -hmm. how many lost? Six. Six lost. Six. And five of them are in the lower lower New York State area. That's right. That's right. And I mean, I think part of the reason why we all won is because we ran as a slate. Our message was very much amplified as a slate. And we did a lot of events as a slate in this New York City area. In the beginning of this race in 2018 in January, some people knew about the IDC because we're very fortunate to have a lot of grassroots activists who have been doing the work before any of us got in. But when all of us got into the race, we then took the message of the IDC and we spread it across not only the five boroughs, but across the entire state. Um, and we were very fortunate to be able to do that together.
together. Okay, so now what? Now that you've, you've won this primary, you have to win the general election. Yes, we election. have to win the general uh, election. That's but right. are, you, are you working hard to do that? We are taking nothing for granted, working very hard. We are still canvassing, we are organizing. But I this mean, is a largely di Democratic district, It's right? a largely Democratic yeah. district, that's exactly right. And so I believe it's 10 to 1 Democrat to Republican, which is incredible. Um, it was actually gerrymandered that way, which is a whole topic, I guess, for another day. It's a very gerrymandered district, but there are more Democrats than Republicans, but still we take nothing for granted. And what are you going to do? What do you want to do? When I win? Yeah. In November, I mean, one of the most important things, one of the bills that got me into this race was the Reproductive Health Act. The Reproductive Health Act is a bill that would codify Roe v. Wade because in New York, the abortion laws predate Roe. They're from 1970. And so the problem with that is that not if but when our you know federal protections with Roe v. Wade are rolled back in New York State, women won't be protected. And so one of the things that we can do here is pass this bill, but we haven't been able to pass it because of the IDC, because of my opponent. And so this is one of the most important things to me. But there are so many other things. The full funding of of our public schools, criminal justice reform, stronger rent laws. I mean, the issues are incredibly expansive and with a Democratic majority in the state Senate, something I'm focused on right now, we can actually get these things done. Are you affordable housing and all your all the literature I see yes. from your campaign and the questions you've answered in the past, affordable housing a big topic, a big it's, on your agenda. It's a huge topic, not only because it plagues District 34, but because as someone who is young, who would like to be able to stay in the district that I grew up in, I'm four generations in District 34, it's almost impossible to purchase a home or an apartment. The, the rents have gone up every single year. And so if we want to actually preserve our communities, we have to make sure that we actually allow for our renters to be protected in terms of being in rent-stabilized units as and, well. And when you hear, heard me read the introduction to you uh, about people who've never held office before. Um, yes. what, what's your answer to that? I, I would like to think that I have more experience than Donald Trump in government. Um, I have, I'm an attorney. I worked for Governor Cuomo twice, first as his assistant general counsel in the governor's office of storm recovery. I oversaw the small business program, community reconstruction program, infrastructure program. I was Secretary Clinton's deputy national operations director. I managed a budget of about $500 million, 38 state directors. And then after the election was over, I went back to work for Governor Cuomo in his executive chamber in his council's office. And that's where I had the portfolio of women's health and women's issues. And politics is a little little bit in your yes. the Biagi blood, right? <laughs> your grandfather was a congressman yes. from New York. Mario yes, that's Biagi, right. right. That's exactly right. And so when I'm actually asked, like, what's what was the inspiration about this? I mean, we spoke about politics at the dinner table, and I didn't realize what the adults were screaming about until I was about 10 years old. But there was always yelling back and forth, and that's because they were arguing about politics and government and who was running or what the issues were. But at the bottom of this and what was really grounded in our family was service. And so if anyone came to the table with an issue, the first question that my grandparents would ask us is, well, what are you going to do about it? What's your service going to be? And now you're trying to do something about That's it. That's right. I guess if you get rid of your shyness, uh, <laughs> then I think you'll probably be successful, right? I think so. <laughs> Good luck to you. It's a pleasure. Thank uh, you so much. Come back on the show. I would uh, love to. Maybe right before the election or after the election. I would love that. All right, Alessandra, Biagi, we thank you and good luck to you thank in the you. election. When we come back, continue our political discussion and what the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and upcoming vote means for the midterm elections. Political consultant Hank Shankoff and Rick Klein, political director of ABC News, joins us next. Welcome back to Up Close. What a week, right? A week that the country was riveted to television. First, the president, unfiltered, unscripted, unplugged for one hour and 21 minutes. But it was nothing compared to the day-long emotional drama and state of our society as the Senate Judiciary Committee heard two powerful witnesses, a college professor who says she was sexually assaulted by a man nominated for the Supreme Court and by the nominee who insists it wasn't him. We've talked about the powerful response from women, many of them victims, but there are political implications as well. 
And we're going to talk about that now with political consultant Hank Scheinkoff. He's here in New York. And ABC News political director Rick Klein. He's in Washington. Rick, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I'm just a layperson. Uh, and, and, you know, it was very dramatic and everything else. But I just felt like a lot of Americans, I think, did that this was all kind of depressing and a sad state of affairs for our country. It was extraordinarily sad, and I think watching it, you, you saw the divisions in this country. What had an opportunity to be to, an advancement of a national discussion, it, it collapsed into people falling back into their partisan corners, a lot of name-calling, not a lot of fact-finding, and, and I agree. I had a sinking feeling watching this. that It seemed to me like Washington was, was looking for a new low and was once again finding it. We, we look back, Hank, at, at the Anita Hill hearings with right. Clarence Thomas, the Clarence Thomas hearings, right. really. Um, and we thought that was very X-rated and risque and horrible. That was nothing compared to what we saw yesterday. This is X-rated government. What do I mean by that? The very nature of the court, not to be politicized, not to be yelling at each other, not to be behaving in an un-Senate-like fashion. The Senate was the place where decency and cooperation was supposed to prevail. Now it has become just like everything else. And worse here, nobody's ever discussed, at least in the last couple of days, the gambling debt issue that this particular nominee for the court had, how it was dealt with, how it was paid off. I mean. This is very serious. Instead, everything's become partisanized. There was a little, in, there was a lot of innuendo in, in, in this, Hank. Uh, we talked about gambling, talking yeah. about drinking, blackouts. That was never introduced into evidence, blackouts. But all of a sudden, we're t the American people are hearing this about a nominee for the Supreme Court. But they ought to hear it, and it ought to be investigated. And what these guys didn't want to see happen, the Republicans, is they didn't want to see a fair, clear, clean investigation of these issues. Rick, I would like to get, before I get into the weeds about what it means politically, what, what was your take on all of this as each of those uh, t people testifying yesterday, Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, gave their testimonies. It, this is just so difficult because you had two people that are telling diametrically opposed versions of, of their own truths. Both can't be right. Both can't be uh, honest. But none of us were there. And, and absent an independent investigation or independent evidence, it's impossible to know what actually happened. And it's left to a, a judge and jury of, of a handful of senators to make a judgment based on the humanity. And it was heartbreaking to hear Dr. Ford mm -hmm. give her testimony and talk in anguished detail about what she, what she says happened to her some 35 years ago. And you know what? If, if all of this was made up, if this was was a man being falsely accused in Brett Kavanaugh, he had a right to be indignant. So all of that humanity on, on raw display, to me, was just a, a sad spectacle. And I, the fact that our pol political system can't really make sense of it, isn't equipped to, is also sad. I thought that it was, uh, it was powerful when, when, when Judge Kavanaugh came out and he was so outraged. He was f clearly defending himself, and yet that level of anger never stopped. And when he said, Hank, the, the, the Democrats have ruined his name and made it political, I couldn't help but think, wait, this is going to be a Supreme Court judge, uh, justice. Uh, it looks like he's going who to be. Was a, anyway. Who was a creation of the Federalist Society. Right. Who, that's where they were. But what does from. that mean when he accuses Democrats of ruining his family? It reputation? means that he can't be nonpartisan and he can't be down the line. But more, there's something else going on here that's much more critical, and some of your audience may find offensive, but this is the last time that the white men who want to keep power in this country are going to have to display that in public. And they want somebody there on the court who'll do that for them, and this guy will. And that's the difference. Well, I think a lot of people are thinking of that as they watch Demographics the are shifting. They don't want to see it. They don't want to, take, they don't want to deal with it. But that's just a basic fact. They're prepared to give up the Senate, which they may very well likely lose now, because of the turnout of women, to hold on to that seat. And the turnout of women, Rick, I'm, I'm holding up a study from the uh, Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. There are 239 female candidates running for Congress across this country. There are only 84 Congresswomen right now. This is huge. 
Yeah, and this was poised to be a year of the woman long before we heard about Brett Kavanaugh, long before these allegations emerged. And, and to Democrats, this has woken up women around the country who've been inspired by the fact that Dr. Blasey Ford uh, came forward, potentially offended by the way that she was treated by Republicans on Capitol Hill, would seem to disbelieve her testimony in keeping the Kavanaugh hearing and the Kavanaugh nomination moving forward. So even as that works its way forward, you are starting to see it penetrate campaign messaging in a potentially powerful way. Just a minute left, Hank. What does it mean? Do you think for the midterm elections, yes, President Trump's going to get a victory of this. Yes, the Republican senators are going to get a victory on the Judiciary Committee and the Senate as a whole. But what about the rest of the country who's looking at this and thinking, wait a minute, you know, I, I know someone who was raped. What's going to happen? What happens? How do we deal with People are going to be extraordinarily angry and react to the voting booths and say, out with them. Or they're going to be fall asleep. I would bet that this increases turnouts for some time to come. And I would bet the Republican Party pays the price for this for a long time. Rick, what is your prediction? This is going to be one of those moments that we remember for decades. I think we'll look back on it like Clarence Thomas, and I think Hank's right. It could be the start of something that's even larger in terms of who would inspire to get involved and the memories that emerge from this uh, sad spectacle. The, I don't think the, the, the ending has been written yet. Okay. Uh, Rick Klein in Washington, Hank Sheinkoff here in New York. I'm going to see both of you, I hope. Tuesday night, 8 o'clock on ABC7 NY. We're going to stream another uh, one of our countdown shows to the midterm election, and I hope you both can join us this Tuesday. And thank you for joining us this morning. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close, a busy show today. We thank you for watching. Tiempo with Joe Torres is next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worries. I'm going to post this, all the segments today on my Facebook page, and it'll be tomorrow. Again, thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. For all of us here at Channel 7, enjoy the rest of your weekend.